Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Sun Peaks, British Columbia in Canada. The case you're about to hear is one of the most requested cases in Big Mad True Crime history. It's the case of 20-year-old Ryan Stuka, who disappeared in 2018 after attending a party with friends. Countless theories have been thrown around from locals to internet sleuths about what they think happened to Ryan, so today we're going to go through the facts. In order to do that, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, and this will be two parts. That being said, small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Ryan Stuka disappeared in Sun Peaks, British Columbia, but Beaumont, Alberta was his home. He was raised there by his parents, Scott and Heather, alongside his two younger sisters. For all intents and purposes, Ryan was a good kid. He got good grades, he played sports, had a solid group of lifelong friends, and never got into too much trouble. If you follow his mom, Heather, on social media, you'll see her say that Ryan was perfectly imperfect. He was close with his parents, but also very independent. He listened to them, but also had a mind of his own. He loved his sisters, and like all siblings do, he'd pick on them from time to time, but there was no doubt that there was a whole heart of love there. I say all of this to give you an idea of how normal Ryan was. His home life was normal, his friendships were normal, and he never got himself into any holes that he couldn't get out of. Two years prior to his disappearance, Ryan graduated from high school. He wasn't totally sure what he wanted to do with his life, so his first year out, he decided to work for his dad's construction company and just figure out who he was. After working for his dad for a year, Ryan decided he did want to try his hand at college and attended a year at a local university. He did fine, but he still hadn't found what he was passionate about. Ryan had always been athletic. He played in an adult rugby league and absolutely loved to snowboard. If Ryan was snowboarding, he was happy. And in 2017, he just so happened to hear about a seasonal job where he could do all the snowboarding he wanted and get paid. It was a seasonal job nine hours away from home in Sun Peaks, B.C., and it was at the Sun Peaks Ski Resort. Sun Peaks is the smallest of small towns ever, and it's actually referred to as a village. It only has about 1,400 permanent residents, though over 200,000 tourists come out every winter to ski, snowboard, and tube. They get roughly 18 feet of snow a year, so I don't know what else you would do. There's only one way in and one way out of Sun Peaks in the winter, but that's all you really need. There's one main road through the village that divides it in half, so if you're looking at it on an aerial map, you have the resort, shops, and restaurants on the top half and the residential area on the bottom half. Sun Peaks honestly looks like the kind of place where you'd film a Hallmark movie at. I was actually so convinced that I had seen this magical, majestic, frozen fairy tale town before that I actually looked it up, but I was absolutely wrong. I couldn't find any movies that had been filmed there, but nonetheless, the place is majestic, so it's no surprise that Ryan wanted to work up there. To make it even better for him, he wasn't going to have to do it alone. Ryan's friend, who we're going to call Jay, said he would head up there too and work alongside with him. From everything I've seen, Ryan wasn't exactly a spontaneous guy, so when he told his parents what he wanted to do, they were pretty surprised, but in a good way. He planned everything out from the job applications, which he obviously landed, travel, a room to rent, and finances. His mom, Heather, told the Nighttime Podcast that Ryan would be taking a pay cut to work up there, but he wasn't going to need much because he was going to have more than enough to enjoy his stay. On December 1st, 2017, Ryan packed his bags, hugged his parents goodbye, and headed out to Sun Peaks. According to Castanet, he was going to be working as a lift operator for the tubing section of the resort with plans to stay through the winter and come back home in April. To say that Ryan thoroughly enjoyed himself would be an understatement. He made friends easily, and this community was pretty amazing. The seasonal workers come there from all around the world, and Ryan made friends very quickly. For the most part, Ryan really only hung out with his co-workers, and the atmosphere was pretty non-problematic. There was no popularity contest to be had because everyone every season was the new guy. They all had a clean slate, and frankly, they all had a common interest, which was obviously winter sports. 
Heather told the Nighttime Podcast that Ryan worked from around 11 or 11.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day, which was perfect. He would wake up every morning, snowboard until work, head off to work, then get home just in time to hang out with his friends. Ryan actually texted his dad at one point and said that he had gone snowboarding 36 days in a row and, according to Castanet, had just completed his first official backflip. It was a huge accomplishment in snowboarding and he could not have been more excited. But that excitement was soon shrouded by a mystery that has plagued Sun Peaks for almost six years. This podcast is sponsored by Caden Lane. Hey guys, my daughter is obsessed with matching. If I have something, she wants the same thing. And if she gets a new pair of shoes, she wants me to wear the same shoes. I'm 100% here for it. And I hope that she never changes. Sometimes it's hard to find companies that do cater to matching kids and adults, but fear not because Caden Lane has entered the chat. Caden Lane was started back in 2005 by a single mom who wanted to create better and cuter clothes, accessories, and keepsakes for her own children and for those special moments you remember forever. And Caden Lane is on a mission to make mom's lives easier. That shows up in the way they design clothes with extra zips and snaps to make outfit changes quick and easy. It shows up on social media where they have an entire community dedicated to sharing and discussing fun ideas and advice from moms for moms. And it also shows up in how that mission inspired their Conceive Fertility Foundation that makes donations to moms who require IVF to help start or grow a family. I recently ordered my daughter and I some matching Valentine's PJs because who doesn't love a holiday? And my daughter gasped when she saw the box. She knows it's about to be a good time when Caden Lane shows up and the sets were so adorable. And aside from being full on adorable, the quality is incredible. You know that fabric that almost feels too soft to be true? That's what they're made of. Rest assured, we'll be placing another order for their St. Patrick's Day and Easter lines. If you're already thinking about summer, same, because I'm freezing. Caden Lane's new swim collection is here and ready to make your adorable dreams come true while also keeping safety in mind with their UPF 50 plus sun protection swimwear. It blocks 98% of harmful UVA and UVB rays and minimizes the sunscreen fights we all know and love. And of course, they have matching sets for the entire family. As I get older, I feel like it's harder for me to figure out where to shop. Like I'm outgrowing the convenient go-to stores I always used. I have nieces and nephews of all ages. My friends have kids of all ages and mine are pretty spread apart too. I love that I can hop on Caden Lane and find anything for anyone. I got my kids customized water bottles from them. You can customize so many things on their website. Think blankets, swaddles, shirts, etc. It is my favorite. The possibilities feel endless. For the little ones, there are diaper-friendly outfits with easy-change snaps, and for the next age group, there's stuff like Color Me Pajama sets, which are like a coloring book your kids can wear. They literally get to color their clothes. You're not a regular mom, you're a cool mom. I absolutely love everything that I've ever gotten from Caden Lane, so I'm not surprised at all that they have over 70,000 five-star reviews. Caden Lane is your one-stop shop for all your newborn, infant, and toddler apparel. Head to cadenlane.com slash bigmad and use code bigmad for 20% off your order. Once again, that's C-A-D-E-N-L-A-N-E dot com backslash bigmad for 20% off. And make sure you use my promo code bigmad so they know I sent you. February 16th, 2018 started like any other day in the winter wonderland of Sun Peaks. Ryan woke up early and went snowboarding, then headed off to work at the lift. According to the documentary Peaks and Valleys, The Search for Ryan Stuka, one of his co-workers wasn't feeling great, so he gave them a ride home, finished out his day, then went home himself. He would have gotten off work at around 7 p.m., which is when Heather told the Vanished podcast that Ryan sent the last text message he ever wrote. It was a text to a friend and a pretty mundane one as far as the life of a 20-year-old goes. It was nothing that would have ever screamed this was the last one he would ever send. Ryan had fun plans for the night, which included two bars and a party. I'm sure you had a gut reaction to that, knowing what's about to happen, but let me lessen that for you for a second. 
Ryan went to the first bar just kind of as a placeholder before he and his friends could get to the next. There was a silent disco going on that night, and that was the main event. As you can imagine, there was a line, and it is damn cold in Sun Peak, so obviously you're going to go somewhere else to wait that out. After the first bar, Ryan and his friends headed to that silent disco, which was one of the coolest things I have ever seen. Everyone put on a pair of headphones and, according to Empire Advance, could toggle between two different DJs. This is a small town, so while there were dozens of people in and out of that silent disco, it wasn't exactly a rager. If you wanted to talk to someone, you could just take your headphones off and have a normal conversation and then watch people dance their asses off. Can you imagine watching dozens of people silently dance to two different songs at one time? It sounds amazing and there needs to be more of this in the world. I assume it's somewhat similar to watching someone play Beat Saber on an Oculus, but let's keep going. The silent disco ended around 1 a.m. because bars close and people need to go home. However, Ryan and his friends, maybe a handful of them or so, weren't exactly ready to call it a night. Everyone knows everyone in Sun Peak, so there's always somewhere to go and something to do, even if it's 1 a.m. Ryan and his friends heard about a party down on Burfield Drive, which was within walking distance of where he and his roommates lived. The band of buddies decided to walk to the Burfield party because they frankly could, but it was so cold outside. Heather told the Nighttime Podcast that a shuttle driver actually saw the group and stopped to pick them up and drive them towards the party so they wouldn't have to walk in the cold because not only was it frigid, it was also snowing. Having a shuttle randomly pick people up at 1 a.m. might sound sketchy to a lot of people listening to this, but it is completely normal for Sun Peaks. I dove into the atmosphere and found some people who worked there when Ryan did before, during, and after all of this happened, who all said the exact same thing. There's a sense of security in Sun Peaks that you don't really get anywhere else. There are shuttles that take kids, I mean, seriously, kids, up to the resort and parents just trust that nothing bad is going to happen to them. It's also not uncommon to hitchhike, get, or offer someone a ride just because you can. One local actually posted that there was a Facebook group for the village where people would post about needing a ride here and there, and other members of the group will just happily respond and volunteer. So Ryan and his friends got picked up by the shuttle and dropped off near the party house. This has been described as a party since Ryan disappeared, but I want to clarify that this was more of a get-together than anything else. Think less early 2000s college movie and more let's chill on the couch, mingle, and talk. I've seen that anywhere between 30 and 50 people came and went from the house that night, but it was more of a drop-in, say hey, talk for a minute, then head out kind of vibe. At this point in time, there are five key people. Ryan, Jay, Chandler, Chandler's girlfriend, and the couple's friend. Jay is Ryan's longtime friend from back in Alberta. Chandler is not his real name, but he's a seasonal worker from Australia who is also Ryan's roommate. Chandler's girlfriend, we mentioned her, and then the couple's friend. So Jay is the first to leave the party, but the time is a little bit of a guess here, probably within the first half an hour of getting there. Heather says that when he got back home, he saw some of their roommates, then went to his room and went to bed. Initial reports stated that between 1.30 and 2 a.m., Chandler and his girlfriend stood up and said they were heading out, and it's reported that Ryan stood up too. No one remembers him saying anything like he was going to leave as well. They just remember him getting up. Various reports state different things, like it looked like he was going to put on his coat or his shoes or that even he was tying his shoes. But after standing up, no one really knows what happened to Ryan. Chandler, his girlfriend, and their friend left the house on Burfield and started walking towards their house. I caught a glimpse of a map in the background of a newscast that indicated that they may have lived in a small home off of the main road. Because the family has never publicly stated which house it is as far as I can tell, I'm not going to share it, but it wasn't very far at all. I made my own map and based on other reports I've seen, it looks like Ryan's roommates probably would have gone west out of the house, walked to the end of the road, headed right onto a small road that connects to the main one, and boom, they're home. Based on mapping, it's estimated to be about an 8-minute walk, but I've seen anywhere between 5 and 15 minutes. Mapped out, I got 8 do without what you will. However, at some point during that walk, Ryan's roommates looked back and realized that he wasn't with them. 
It's in our true crime nature to scream, you never leave a friend behind, but we have to remember here that Ryan was 20. He was a guy, and in a village of people who seem to safely hitchhike and where a random shuttle can pick you up at 1am and no one bats an eye. You might wonder how they didn't notice Ryan was with them, but let me tell you, it was colder than a cat's ass. I'm talking below zero degrees Fahrenheit. Sun Peaks gets a lot of snow in total, but it's generally not a lot at one time. This night, however, was different. I've seen reports of anywhere between four to eight inches that night, which was definitely out of the average norm. All of this to say, this was the kind of night where you bundle up, hug yourself, keep your head down, and shuffle like an Olympic speedwalker. If they were looking down, shivering, and walking as fast as they could in snow, I do think it's fair to see how they might have just assumed Ryan was with them until they realized he wasn't. The consensus seems to be that they figured he'd gone back to get something, got held up talking to someone, or just decided to stay, and no one really thought anything of it. The roommates made it home without Ryan and then went to bed. The following morning, Jay woke up and realized that Ryan wasn't there. According to KTV, his friends just figured he'd gotten up early to go snowboarding before work, so again, they really didn't think anything of it. According to an interview Heather did with the Nighttime Podcast, the first alarm bell didn't ring until 11.30 a.m. when Jay got a text from Ryan's supervisor. Ryan hadn't showed up for his shift and was wondering if Jay knew where he was. Jay wasn't by his phone and didn't see the text until around noon, but told the supervisor that he hadn't seen Ryan at all that morning and asked them to let him know when Ryan did show up. Jay didn't hear back until after Ryan's shift, though, and that's when he learned that Ryan never showed up. Something wasn't right, and it was only going to get worse. Everyone had assumed Ryan had gone out snowboarding that morning, but according to that interview with the Nighttime podcast, Jay realized that Ryan's snowboarding gear was still at the house. Now, I know my first reaction to that was, how do you miss a snowboard? But we have to remember that damn near everyone in that house would have had snowboarding or snow gear. There were like six people living in a two-bedroom cabin, so it would have been cluttered as all get out. Jay's really starting to worry at this point, and so is everyone else. Several friends try to get a hold of Ryan to no avail at all. They post on that Facebook page, but again, no one has seen or heard from him. According to Empire Advance, they went so far as to contact local hospitals looking for Ryan, but he wasn't at any of those either. It was the hospital that told the friends that they should probably contact police, So that's exactly what they did. They contacted the authorities, and just after 8.45 p.m. on February 18th, 2018, 20-year-old Ryan Stuka was officially reported missing. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Hey guys, 2020 is my growth era. I'm focusing on doubling down on what I do right and making small changes in my daily life to expand on all of that. One thing I'm not great at, and I know this, is remembering to eat when I'm in the middle of research. I know that might sound ridiculous, but I get so invested in what I'm reading that it's hard to pull myself out of it. Sometimes I just forget, and other times I feel like if I stop, I'm going to lose my momentum, and it's going to be hard for me to get my brain back to where it was. Thankfully, last year, I found an incredible solution to that problem, which is where our next sponsor comes in, IQ Bar. They are my go-to snack to have on hand when I'm working, so I don't have to step away, and I know I'm getting something my body will appreciate. If your 2024 resolutions involve leveling up your diet, start with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. Get seven IQ Bar flavors, four IQ Mix flavors, and four IQ Joe flavors. And today, our listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text BIG to 64000. Whether you're running a marathon or running errands, IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. Their plant protein bars are packed with high-quality ingredients to keep you physically and mentally fit. IQ Bars are vegan, gluten-free, and low in sugar and carbs. And every flavor, chocolate sea salt, peanut butter chip, 
Wild Blueberry and more are so delicious. IQ Mix is a zero-sugar drink mix that hydrates with electrolytes, improves mood with magnesium, and boosts clarity with the lion's mane adaptogen. On top of those benefits, each flavor is so good and so refreshing. Oh, and let me tell you about IQ Joe. It's a jitter-free instant coffee packed with 200 milligrams of natural caffeine, brain-boosting magnesium, and productivity-enhancing lion's mane. And IQ Joe comes in for amazing flavors, original black, vanilla spice, cafe mocha, and toasted hazel. Each of them are seriously incredible. I absolutely love IQ Bar's line of products, and I have no doubt that you will too. If you're struggling to figure out where to start or what to try first, their Ultimate Sampler Pack is an awesome way to try it all. Refuel smarter in 2024 with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix Sticks, and four IQ Joe Sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products, plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text BIG to 64000. Get your discount, text BIG to 64000. That's B-I-G to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. With Ryan deemed a missing person, Jay was tasked with having to tell Ryan's parents what was going on. Jay and Ryan's parents had a good relationship, but this isn't a conversation anybody wants to have. How do you tell someone that their son is missing? Jay sent Heather a text, which according to ryanstuka.com read, Heather, Ryan never came home last night. He didn't show up for work today. We filed a missing police report. Heather has done several interviews about what it was like to get that text, and essentially, it was unreal. She had a hard time understanding what it said, skipping parts of the message to try and find the meaning, and even reading it out loud to try and make more sense of it. She wound up calling Jay to try and understand what exactly was going on, and he filled her in on the events of the day. The end of that conversation was that Ryan was missing, which felt too final and too up in the air all at the same time. What are you supposed to do with that? Heather remembered texting Ryan earlier that morning, telling him that she hoped he had a great day, so she went and checked the message, but according to the Vancouver Sun, she saw that it was never marked as delivered. Something was seriously wrong here, so Ryan's parents, Heather and Scott, got out of bed into their car and started the nine-plus-hour drive to Sun Peaks. Doing nothing was not an option. Along the way, they were in contact with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or RCMP, who assured the Stukas that they were doing everything they could to find their son. Heather has stated over and over that it was both the longest and shortest drive of her entire life, and she made bargains to be a better person if they could just find Ryan in every other deal she could think to make. The RCMP updated her periodically and each time told her that they'd reach out with any updates but the update stopped coming. I've heard Heather tell several people that she started to worry that they had found Ryan and didn't want to tell her while she was driving, that she and Scott were going to make it to Sun Peaks only to be told that Ryan hadn't made it. The idea that Ryan might not survive a day in a small village might sound like a stretch for some, but that's the reality Ryan's parents were living in. The weather in Sun Peaks was dangerously cold, and police were honest with them. If he'd been out in the elements for 24 hours, it's unlikely he would have survived. I did a little dive into the dangers of cold weather, and at a temperature of zero or below zero, you should be fine for about 10-minute stints so long as you're bundled up, your airway is covered, and you have little to no skin exposed. The consensus across the board seemed to be that hypothermia was a risk within an hour if the above precautions weren't taken and your initial body temperature drops below 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Once hypothermia sets in, a person can experience slowed breathing, slowed heart rate, confusion, and sleepiness. There's also something called paradoxical undressing, which isn't uncommon in hypothermia victims. The effects of hypothermia make the person feel like they're actually warm or hot, so they take items of clothing off to try and cool down. That's why you'll see news articles about hypothermia victims and see that they had taken their coats and other items of clothing off. It's terrible to even have to think about any of this, 
but it does suggest that there's a possibility at the very least that someone might be able to find an article of Ryan's clothing. When he disappeared, he was wearing a white t-shirt with gray sleeves, a blue coat, dark jeans, a burgundy baseball type hat, and tan lace-up vans. He also had his iPhone with him, a black iPhone 6, his wallet, and his car keys, which would have had a Volkswagen key on it. If search and rescue could find just one thing Ryan had on him at the party, they might be able to figure out where he went and where he was. Heather and Scott drove through the night, and by the next morning, February 19th, arrived at a full-blown command center RCMP and Kamloops Search and Rescue, or KSAR, had set up. Kamloops is the town right outside of Sun Peaks and is where the police department is stationed. It actually takes about 45 minutes for an officer to respond to Sun Peaks because it's so remote. Nonetheless, Scott and Heather were expecting the worst, but I don't really know how to categorize the news that they got. Ryan hadn't been found overnight, but that still meant that he was out there somewhere. The search for Ryan was like nothing I have ever seen. According to Sun Peaks News, they had the command center set up, RCMP, KSAR, Kamloops Search and Rescue, canines, snowmobiles, helicopters, drones with infrared, and 74 community volunteers. They all searched high and low in the woods, along the residential streets, down trails and creeks, but Ryan was nowhere to be found. The weather had continued to be treacherous, but searchers searched through it, and unfortunately, by the time the sun went down, there was nothing more authorities thought they could do. They suspended the search, and I'm pretty sure if there was such a thing as a silent gasp, it would have been heard throughout Canada as a whole. Heather told Sun Peaks News that the KSAR's manager had kept them updated throughout the entire thing, and there was no mistaking the sheer manpower and effort they had put into finding their son. In fact, she said that it seemed like they were just as shattered as she was to tell her that they hadn't found a single trace of him. Just because police weren't going to be out there the next day did not mean that Heather and Scott weren't, or those volunteers, or the friends who were already on their way from Alberta. By February 20th, volunteers gathered at the once command center and descended on the village. They weren't sure exactly where to start because according to Heather's interview with the Nighttime podcast, canines couldn't track Ryan's scent past the front door of that house on Burfield. Obviously, that makes the hair on the back of all true crime listeners next stand up, but it might not be as concerning as it sounds. According to the LA Times, snow can preserve a scent on the ground, but the weather snow comes with is the problem. Scent travels less in cold air than it does in warm. We also know that rain can hinder a scent trail, so I can only assume it's possible for any form of precipitation to do the same. The only thing Ryan's family could think to do was start at the beginning, so everyone headed out to the home on Burfield Drive and started there. Heather couldn't physically participate in the search due to a pretty rough injury to her Achilles, so while everyone else was out on foot, she got down to business trying to figure out every last detail of the night Ryan disappeared. She asked around looking for any information that might help them and learned that Ryan had drank that night and, according to her interview with the Nighttime podcast, may have taken three hits of MDMA. MDMA is ecstasy, or what some people call molly. It's a stimulant that's often referred to as a party drug, and according to the Alcohol and Drug Foundation, it's what's known as an empathogen, meaning it increases a person's feelings of empathy and kindness and makes them feel more socially accepted and connected with the people around them. Heather acknowledged that she wasn't exactly sure what three hits meant, but MDMA is generally taken in pill form but can also come in a powder or crystal. As far as the state Ryan was in when he was last seen, that seems to be pretty up in the air. Some have said he didn't even seem drunk, while others have said he was pretty out of it. Knowing that, I dug a little deeper into the effects of MDMA and alcohol, and apparently the biggest concern is dehydration and subsequently delusional hyponatremia. Essentially, MDMA is a strong stimulant and can make a person feel extremely hot or thirsty, and there have been instances where a person consumed too much water than their body could process, which led to the hyponatremia. Basically, your sodium levels get thrown off by the amount of water being taken in, among other things, and it can actually be fatal. That's honestly just food for thought here at this point, because Ryan wasn't so out of it that 
everyone noticed because some people did claim that he seemed totally fine. There were no reports of him desperately seeking water or causing any kind of trouble that got anyone's attention. Heather certainly had more information to go on now, but unfortunately, it wasn't anything that could help her narrow down where to focus the search for her son. While Heather was working on getting her own information, police were doing the same, interviewing as many partygoers as they could, but even they weren't getting anything that could really help. As of today, the consensus is that there are still some partygoers that may not have been interviewed, but that's likely due to the sheer number of people who came and went that night. This podcast is sponsored by Every Plate. Hey guys, it's 2024, so let's all resolve to stress less about what's for dinner. Every Plate is my favorite meal kit of all time with the tastiest recipes I've ever gotten to choose from. With more than 25 tasty and affordable recipes that change every week, it's easy to find something delicious and satisfying for every meal of the day. You can choose from things like breakfast 24-7, my youngest son is a huge fan, 15 minutes or less meals, I am a huge fan, feel-good food, and big batch faves. Plus, you can add even more delicious options to your order with over 25 convenient sides, breakfast items, lunches, snacks, desserts, and more. But the taste isn't the only thing I love about every plate. It is also about the saving, both time and money. I'm not making an endless list walking down 32 aisles of the grocery store and standing in line for 30 minutes. Every plate takes care of the planning for me. And I always thought meal kits had to be expensive, but every plate's meals are cheaper than your average fast casual meal, so you can ditch the takeout and save money while still enjoying fresh, satisfying meals. They're the easiest way to eat affordably, so you can put the rest towards something fun for 2024. I've tried almost every meal kit out there. Seriously, I think I've literally almost tried them all. And I've never found one that is as nice to my budget and absolutely delicious than every plate. It makes my life easier without compromising on quality because every plate recipes include only the highest quality ingredients, including sustainably sourced seafood that meets the Monterey Bay Aquarium seafood rankings. So you know your meals will be fresh and flavorful. We got our box last week and it's like Christmas every time it shows up. I mean, I know that I'm the one that ordered it, but still I get so excited. And that's not something I feel when I'm staring at a fridge full of ingredients, trying to think about what I'm going to do to put them all together and make a fun and enjoyable dinner. My kids also love it too. I mean, it's so organized that it's a no-brainer to let them help me cook my every plate meals. It was actually an every plate meal that was the first meal my son cooked from start to finish for the entire family. He was so excited and so proud of himself when he was done. And frankly, it was so good. You'd have thought we ordered this meal, but no, it was prepared by a teenager. But that's what's so great about it. It's so simple. Also, the fact that it was one of the least expensive dinners we've made is just a bonus. 10 out of 10 would recommend their sweet chili turkey rice bowls. Yes. Get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49BMTC. Subscription must be active to qualify and redeem $1 steak. Get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49BMTC. Subscription must be active to qualify and redeem $1 steak. That's up to a $110 value. By February 20th, Heather knew that she wasn't going to stop until Ryan was found, but she was going to need some help. She and Scott decided they were going to live in Sun Peaks until they could bring Ryan home with them, which meant that they couldn't work and needed a place to stay. She created a GoFundMe, and within the first 24 hours, the Sun Peaks News reports that they raised over $20,000. As of today, it has raised over $98,000 and has been used to fund a private investigator, a $5,000 reward that was raised to $15,000. It has also paid for room and board, travel, snacks and water for searchers, searches, etc. RCMP may have suspended their initial search, but they were far from done with their efforts to locate Ryan. 
On February 21st, they asked all local residents to check any outbuildings that they could possibly find. If there was anywhere someone could go to escape the elements, they wanted locals to check them for Ryan. This included unlocked cars, sheds, garages, and even basements. With this request, there was some hope that maybe Ryan was still alive. He was just trapped in a shelter that he couldn't get out of. Sun Peaks did not skip a beat and ran to check every nook and cranny of their lives for any sign that Ryan may have taken shelter on their property, but unfortunately, nothing at all was found. With that coming up empty, there was a push for locals and business owners to check their security cameras and dash cam footage, but that led to some pretty frustrating revelations. No one spotted Ryan on any of their cameras, but there weren't many for them to check. Almost all of the cameras in Sun Peaks weren't working the night of his disappearance, and some of them weren't even real cameras, they were dummy cameras. Other cameras may have only been live feeds that didn't actually record anything to a server. Heather did tell the nighttime podcast that one camera was working that night at the Kookaburra Lodge, but the results didn't provide much information. There's only one way in and one way out of Sun Peaks in the winter, and zero cars pass by between around 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. If I'm looking at the map correctly, though, that lodge does seem to be further past where Ryan would have been that night. We talked a little about how small Sun Peaks is earlier and that main road that kind of splits the village in half. The village runs along about two and a half miles of the main road and where Ryan lived looks to be at the very start of the main road, whereas the lodge looks to be about a mile and a half further down. Cameras closer to the front of the village would have been a lot more helpful because to pass the lodge cameras, you'd seemingly have to go deeper into Sun Peaks as opposed to leaving it. It seemed like every investigative tactic led to one disappointment after another, and it was crushing for Ryan's family. Heather told CBC, There's those feelings of hopefulness, and then there's the harsh reality of knowing that if he's in the elements, at this point in time, we are looking at a recovery. So that's hard as a parent. Heather, Scott, the RCMP, and every other volunteer you could imagine did not stop looking for Ryan. You couldn't exist in BC or Alberta without hearing about his disappearance, and unfortunately that brought out the evil, sadistic psychopaths who get nothing but joy out of bringing pain to people who are already hurting. Heather posted to the missing Ryan Stuka Facebook group that her phone rang on the 23rd and it was a call that stopped her soul in its tracks. It was Ryan's phone number, Ryan's contact information, and his photo flashing across her screen. For that moment in time, she thought maybe, just maybe, her son was alive and calling her to let her know he was okay. And if it wasn't that, maybe it was someone who had found his phone, but it was neither of those things. Instead, some piece of shit, back alley, gargoyle, garbage of a human had found Ryan's phone number, spoofed it, and used an app to call his mom. When Heather answered, she heard the voice of a creepy-ass old fucking lady saying, you've been pranked by pranksters. That phone call came on the heels of a pretty horrible fucking message telling her that her family was being punished and to sleep well. Fuck all the way off. If it was you and you're listening to this, Fuck off. March 17th was Ryan's 21st birthday, but instead of being able to celebrate the day with her son, his family was heading up search parties and having to address some pretty heavy rumors to the media. His case had made it to national news, which meant that the internet sleuths had made it their mission to solve Ryan's case with little information to go on. They started taking screenshots of Ryan's friends and roommates' social media accounts and theorizing that someone at the party was lying. They picked apart every typed word they could find, and his friends were actually accused of some pretty terrible things and were harassed and threatened relentlessly. Heather had some feelings about that and told the Sun Peaks News, I think it's disgusting, to be honest with you. It's disgusting. Everyone thinks that they're an armchair detective when they're sitting at home and they don't know people. They don't know us. They don't know our son. And I get that people want to help, but disparaging people who have to go through this? They, Ryan's peers, don't get the support from 20,000 people. They're on this on their own. Heather was on the ground. She had firsthand knowledge about everything going on, everything said, and all the facts of her son's case, and she was essentially telling people to chill out. 
People certainly felt like they were advocating for Ryan, but they were doing it with little information and by potentially ruining the lives of people who very well may have had nothing to do with Ryan's disappearance. Heather told the Sun Peaks News that obviously everything crosses your mind when you're in her situation, but that she has no reason to doubt the integrity of everyone involved in the case and that no tips have come in that would indicate anything sinister happened to Ryan. She said everyone involved had been forthcoming and that neither she nor the police believed that Ryan ever left Sun Peaks. Theories were pretty rampant at that point, so we're obviously going to have to talk about them. The most common seems to be that Ryan may have been hit by a car walking home and the driver put Ryan into their vehicle and took him somewhere else. While anything is possible, I think it's important to note that there was no evidence of an accident that night and no blood in the snow. Remember, the canines couldn't get any scent of Ryan past the front door of that house, and if there had been a struggle or a trauma, you would expect the dogs to have picked that up. Dogs had also been brought out looking for any signs of decomposition, and those dogs are trained to alert to the scent of human fluids. If there was blood, you would expect them to have alerted to it, but as far as we know, that didn't happen. There's also been a pretty rampant rumor that Ryan may have owed money to a drug dealer who deals in Sun Peaks, but that doesn't exactly track either. Someone who lived in the area said that people who deal party drugs tend to be young kids who come and go, and it's nothing scary or serious. Definitely not anyone who'd be willing to kill over a debt. And just generally speaking, dealers don't tend to kill their debtors because once a person is dead, they can't pay you. I saw people trying to find gang signs in the hands of people in the background of photos with Ryan as well, and frankly, that's ridiculous, and that's all I'm going to say about that. The most convincing discussions of the drug dealer theory have also been some of the least convincing. I saw some locals talking about it online, and they seem to know personal information about who they believe is the perpetrator, saying he was the kind of guy who would kill over a small amount of money and even suggested where to look for Ryan. They also seem to have every excuse in the world about why they weren't willing to report their information, claiming they couldn't find a way to submit a tip online, phone numbers weren't working, and Crime Stoppers was closed on the weekends. If you loosely Google Ryan's name, you will be met with ample means of submitting a credible tip, but this person said that they wouldn't be calling the police with a BS rumor. So as convinced as they seem to be, it sounds like they're also not exactly convinced after all. Regardless, everything needs to be looked into, and it does look like people have made several reports about this nameless man, so it's not like it's any kind of secret. Heather seems to have directly and indirectly addressed this on several occasions, saying that Ryan had no unusual bank activity, he had plenty of money in his bank account when he disappeared, maybe even more than she did, and there was nothing keeping Ryan in Sun Peaks. If he was in any kind of danger, he knew he could have come home at any point in time, nine hours away, and gone back to work with his dad. Ryan was only in Sun Peaks because he loved it and he was having the time of his life. I haven't seen a single mention of anyone who knew Ryan saying that he seemed afraid of anyone or anything at all. The rumors didn't stop there, and the other popular theory is that maybe Ryan accidentally overdosed and people at the party panicked and hid his body. But who and where could they have hidden him? One local said quite literally that he hasn't been able to take a shit in years without several people knowing the details of his trip to the bathroom. There are small towns, and then there is Sun Peaks. Everyone knows absolutely everyone, and there is no such thing as a secret. Several locals have stated that if someone in that party knew something, there's almost no chance that it would have remained a secret for very long, but nothing has ever come out at all. In fact, people continued to come and go from the party that night and no one noticed anything unusual. If Ryan had OD'd and there was a mad dash to cover it up, the people in that house would have had to put on an Oscar-worthy performance of acting like everything was completely normal. Amid the speculation, the search for Ryan continued and humanity humanityed. CBC reported that 40 volunteers were bussed in from Alberta and with the snow beginning to melt, the hope to find Ryan was stronger than ever. Heather learned more and more about how to search for a missing person and it became a passion of hers to share that with the public. On the 23rd, she shared the following four tips she thinks everyone should know. One, Did you know that you do not have to wait 24 hours to report someone missing? 
I didn't. Literally, you could be out of my sight for seconds, and if I called, the RCMP or the police would have to respond. Disclaimer, this does not count for wives making beelines to the mall or wayward husbands heading out for a beer. It does not matter the age. Two, make sure there is one person out there that knows your password to your Apple ID if you own an iPhone. Ryan had a two-way authentication on his phone. You couldn't change his password with just an email address. Because we couldn't answer his security questions, they would only text his new code to his phone 23 days later. Even RCMP intervention could do nothing. So we will never know if looking at his Find My iPhone app, his last location would have been given. Three, There is a gap when local volunteer search and rescue teams fulfill their tasks. Who is left to take over? There are several reasons I have since discovered why some people go missing. There are the willing, unwilling, and the unknowing. But in every case, there is someone left behind that grieves at that loss. There should be resources that these loved ones can access to help them through this process. People should never wonder if what they have done is enough. 4. In places like these that attract adventure-loving people, there should be safety measures and protocols put in place. Is it possible to have some marker or beacon added to staff IDs that trigger a beacon once activated? What about having a procedure in place if employees don't show up? Have a detailed plan that involves an emergency contact and an escalated plan that involves the authority if merited. I am very aware that in our case, all these measures would be reactive and reflective actions. The shame about tragedies is processes that are developed will only be proactive for others. But what I have learned most importantly is that my son was happy here. Heather and Scott had been left to figure out how to search for their missing son on their own, and they don't want anyone to ever feel as lost or helpless as they did. Heather actually teamed up with the family of another missing person to create the Freebird Project. The project was designed to help other families of missing persons figure out next steps like setting up command centers, utilizing social media, and how to get sponsors and donations so the searches can continue long after law enforcement leaves. Towards the end of March, the RCMP was back to searching for Ryan, but they were actually searching for two people. According to Sun Peaks News, a 62-year-old woman named Thelma Vaughn had gone missing around February 3rd, and they'd sent up helicopters to search for her and keep an eye out for Ryan as well. Thelma's car had been found abandoned near the Lafarge Bridge, which is about a 55-minute drive from Sun Peaks. The drive is so long because the area is so remote, but as the crow flies, it was really only about 16 miles away. Law enforcement spent the day searching for both Ryan and Thelma, but unfortunately, no sign of either was found. All hope wasn't lost, though, because RCMP vowed that they would continue their searches as the snow continued to thaw. If Ryan was out there and had been lost in that snow, maybe now they'd be able to find him. March turned to April, and while Ryan wasn't found, Thelma's body was. CBC reports that she was found in a river and no foul play was suspected. The searches for Ryan continued and also took a little bit of a shift as Heather learned about a text. But as much as I hate to do this to you, who sent it, what it said, and what it might mean is going to have to wait until next week. For photos pertaining to this case, check out Ryan's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there today at noon Eastern where you go live with me and talk about today's case and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmantruecrime, where for just two whole dollars a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered like this one, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you part two next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. All right, guys, we are officially at the end of this episode, which means that it's time for me to share a review that made my entire day. This one is from Jackie M308. 
It says, so I just started listening to Big Mad True Crime approximately one month ago and haven't stopped. I love you. I started with the most recent episode and have been working my way back and I'm already in 2019, so disappointed that I'm almost caught up. Heather Ashley's voice has filled all the silence in my life from the moment I wake up and walk my dog to when I'm falling asleep at night. She's funny, like laugh out loud funny. She is empathetic, knowledgeable, intelligent, and clearly does so much research for each episode. I love you so much. I think she is so cool. That's so nice. Nobody would have said that when I was in high school. I'm gonna keep going. I don't want to listen to anyone else because Big Mad True Crime has everything I want and need in a true crime podcast. Thank you, Heather Ashley, for all the work you put in. And thank you to Kyle. Oh, we love him for doing the editing. I love the support between you two, but I just want you to know that what you do is amazing, bringing light to the cases that aren't solved and the ones that haven't been given enough attention. You are talented in the way you gather the information, research the cases, explain it to the audience, and add your own pizzazz with your sarcasm and hilarious phrases. But I guess I should thank Randy for those as well. Oh my gosh, I'm going to send him this. He's going to die. Randyisms are are wilder than Heatherisms. Oh, for anybody who doesn't know, Randy's my dad. All of this, I'm, I know she was in the live last week for sure. Jackie, we love you. Join the live. I'm recording on a Monday. And so we'll be, why does my, oh, okay. That was a screenshot. I'm like, why does it say 1042? Just kidding. It's 1130. So I'm sure I'll see you in a live in about 30 minutes. Okay. So she goes on to say, <laughs> thank you so much. And I'm so excited for every week's new episodes. I love you so much. And I love being able to get to know you guys and have these lives with you and get to know each other. And the fact that you know about Kyle and you know about Randyisms, this is the best. I love that we're all like such a little family. And thank you for just being so freaking nice. That is wild. It's just wild. I love it so much. And they're like, it's hard for me to like, I want to be like, I don't deserve it, you know? But you're gonna be like, yes, you do. So I don't want to say that. I just love you guys so much. I, I really do. If you made it this far, it's time for the hot take, which is really hard to do on a two-part case. I think for a couple years, I really was nervous about doing two-part cases because there are people who get like pissed off about them and they want me to have a bionic voice that can talk in a podcast voice and project for two hours at a time and I'm just not that person. It, the end of the episode would not do it justice because you'd be so concerned about what I sound like and that's not how I want it to be. You also know I'm not going to half-ass the case. You're going to get the full case, point blank, period. I'm not I'm not into like half-assing anything. I don't have it in my blood. And so this is going to be two parts. When I first started it, I was, you know, I never know going into a case how long it's going to take me to research, how long the episode's going to be. I do all my research and then I start writing my script. I'm just telling the story how I would talk and it becomes what it becomes. This wound up becoming over 12,000 words. And Ryan's case is Ryan's case and it needs to be told. We are coming up on six years and his family is incredible. His dad is unstoppable. His mom is a force. His sisters have had to live through all of this. I can't imagine being them. His friends have had to live through all of this. This is terrible. But as many questions as there are in this case, you're going to hear, especially in part two, how incredible humans can be. Last week was very difficult to listen to. This is this is difficult to listen to as well. I think a lot of us may have lost hope in, in humanity a little bit last week. And this case is going to rebuild your faith in people, in humankind. It is like nothing I've ever seen. And Heather is just, I mean, I don't even know the right words. She's just an inspirational person. Her strength is something that should be studied. And she is so determined and so open and so patient and so dedicated. You know, she's I I feel I feel for her, you know. Anybody who wants to know more about this case or, you know, up to date about things going on, I definitely recommend going and following the Missing Ryan Stuka Facebook group. You can also go to ryanstuka.com and uh yeah, you know. I'll have a much more detailed and more of me, I guess, in the hot take for next week's episode because there is still so much to go over about Ryan's case that I it, it's really hard for me to break up because I know the full case. Uh, I had to split it up into two episodes. I don't want to, you know, reference something you guys are like, what are you talking about? You know, so once we get part two done with kind of like we did with Connie's case, we'll have a full-blown session of thoughts and processes going on with this case next week. So 
I love you guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye.